Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. Well, the title of my message this morning is Ain't Gonna Get No Hotter Than Hell. Huh? Yeah, she was prophetic in her post. Actually, actually, that's not it at all. But I thought about it. It crossed my mind more than once, especially when we were out in the yard yesterday. Our neighbor behind us doesn't really care what grows over the fence. He doesn't ever address it. Old Ukrainian fella, can't hardly speak English, and, and we've got blackberries and hop bushes and every, hops and all that stuff growing over the fence. So every few weeks, we have to go out there with a big tall ladder and cutters and cut it all down. So I told Teresa, I said, listen, this can't be a marathon day in this kind of heat. So I'll hang out with you till about 11 a.m., and by 11 a.m., we're putting the tools away and going back inside where the air conditioning is in our favor. So, yeah, so I th- that, that title crossed my mind a couple of times in the heat yesterday. But I've been working on this, uh, this subject matter here. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10, or your, your uh, portable little doodad, whatever you, wherever you read the Bible. Turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to unpack a passage of Scripture today about a young man that the Bible calls the rich young ruler. Ain't no going back now is the actual title of this message today. And hopefully you'll, uh, you'll catch a groove on what I'm trying to get across to you. And uh, hopefully you've got some, a way to take some notes today because I've got plenty of stuff to throw at you. So uh, we'll begin reading Mark chapter 10. I'm reading out of the NIV and it should be going up on the board here in a moment, up on the screen in a moment. Beginning in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, if you want to know the inside joke on that one, you've got to ask Mike Hallbrook or you've got to ask Mike Wisman, and they'll tell you all about verse 18, Okay. Moving right along, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your mother and your father. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. If you're writing in your Bible, I want you to underline that. Jesus looked, Jesus had never met this young man, but He looked him in the eyes, and the Bible says that he loved him immediately, okay? One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me, 
At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Bit of a heartbreaking story, don't you think? It started off so good. And we're, like I say, we're going to unpack this today. and We're going to dig deep into this passage of Scripture. So let me introduce it this way. Jesus came not only for those in sin, the drug users, the immoral, the thieves, the drunkards, all of that, but Jesus also came for the very best people in our society. Thankfully, God beckons those who are of high moral integrity, who are good mothers, they're good fathers, they're good employees, they go to work every day, and who do their best to obey the laws of the land. Many of you here at People's Church fit this description, and you are very much appreciated in that. Thankful for you. But today this message is for you, because you may see many similarities between you and this young man in this passage of Scripture. So if you're taking down some notes today, write this down. Number one, he was an amazingly good person. He was an amazingly good person. He's the guy who never messed up. Huh? Can you believe that? Verse 20 says, Teacher, he declared, All these things I have kept since I was a boy. You know, and in Scripture, the Lord didn't deny the truth of that statement. I'd say he must have been a model son growing up. Never smoked a cigarette. Never tried marijuana. Forget the non-inhaling group. Never tasted alcohol. Never rebelled against his parents. Always drove his camel responsibly. (laughs) Treated his dates with courtesy and respect. He's the guy all your mothers wish your daughters would marry. Huh? He's the guy that always went to church. Luke 18, 18 says he was a ruler. Commonly, if you look at scripture and delve into it a little bit, it's believed that he was a ruler in a synagogue. And becoming a ruler of a synagogue was very unusual at his young age. It wasn't a common occurrence. It was for men much older than him. So I would say this guy must have been exemplary. Kind of a Dan person kind of guy, don't you think? Huh? Dan's the man. He had faith. Write these down. He had faith. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So that tells me that he was a believer. He believed in the gospel that Jesus was traveling around preaching. Despite what the Sadducees said, he believed in the gospel of of the Bible. And the Bible hadn't even been written yet. He had respect for God and for those that God had called to ministry. He was in awe in the presence of Christ. He knelt down immediately and he addressed him. Good teacher. I would say the young man was sincere in heart. He was honestly, he was honestly asking Jesus, what do I got to do here? And this is during a time when a lot of the Jews, they were just hypocrites. They were just hypocritical. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. But this young man was sincere in his belief. Number two today, he was not satisfied with average religion. He wasn't satisfied with average religion. He was zealous. He was anxious. He was earnest. He came running and fell down at the feet of Jesus. He recognized 
that Jesus had something new to say, something fresh to say that he'd never heard in his lifetime. What must I do, Lord? You see, he'd carefully kept the law, but he wanted more than that. He wanted more than that. Today, he's the kind of guy that would go attend a seminar, a retreat. He would come to prayer meeting, etc., etc. But in Matthew 19, 20, he says these words, What do I still lack? He recognized it, that there was a void still in his life. What do I still lack? He was making sure to cover all his bases. Amen? Amen. He had a seeking heart. His head told him, hey, you got this thing down pat. You've got the religion thing down pat. But his heart told him, there's a whole lot more to it than what you know about. And you need to seek it out. Thank God for people who are not satisfied with the average apropos kind of stuff. The everyday humdrum way of life. Amen? Number three. He's the person who is willing to embrace change. Or at least he thought he was. I believe he came in honesty. I I believe he came asking those questions. Many people are so set in their ways. It would take dynamite to loosen them up. Yeah. And that's why it's so refreshing when you meet someone that's open to change. And they have great ideas on how to make change. Fresh ideas. But this young man believed he was willing to do anything that it took. He really embraced it. To give up anything. To suffer anything in order to gain eternal life. Which brings me to number four. He had overlooked just one item. Okay? He had overlooked just one item in his life. And you say, it's just one thing. So what? What's the big deal anyway? Because Jesus looked past all of his goodness, so to speak, all of his accomplishments, and Jesus shined a light right into his heart. Is what he did as he's asking him these questions. But this young man had what I call a heart problem. And it was greed. That's what it boiled down to. Just one thing. It's just one thing, Lord. What's the big deal? But that had to be conquered in his life before he could possess eternal life. Jesus said, one thing you lack, young man. Why would God care if there was just one thing wrong with us? We're all sinners, saved by grace. Why would God really care if there's just that one thing in our lives that compromises our lives. Think of it this way. One bad link in your chain breaks the chain. I remember as a kid, I used to ride my bicycle around Pacifica, California. And it was very hilly. And it was very frustrating because I'd be pedaling up a hill and that chain would give way. And I, I'm, I've never been much of a mechanic. I'm, I'm more of a musician than I am a mechanic. And... Uh, So I'd have to get off the bike and put the chain back on and figure out how to get that little master link back together just so I could make it home. Thankfully, some of that was downhill and I didn't have to pedal so bad. But one bad link in the whole chain breaks the chain and it becomes ineffective. Or if the brakes on your car don't work even just one time, huh? you're in big trouble, especially if you drive like Tiffany. 
Tiffany likes to run right up in everybody's hip pocket and then stop. And typically, when I'm riding with her, I just try to be as quiet as I can and just hold on to this handle and that handle, grip my teeth and shove my feet against the floorboard. Yeah. She believes in brakes that work. But if your brakes don't work, even just one time, man, you're, in, you're right in the back seat of somebody's car. That's a, that's a bummer. Or you're off the side of the road. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Anybody say amen to that? Huh? Yeah, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. God wants 100% of you given over to his will. Amen? He wants all of you or none of you. That's kind of what it boils down to in Scripture. Revelation 3.16, a very common piece of Scripture. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold... I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I don't like the sound of that, do you? Some translations say vomit. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do is make God vomit. It's just, it's not what I want to do. So our love has to be wholehearted, holding nothing back. God doesn't go, and God doesn't allow for there to be other gods, so to speak, other idols. He's not going to allow any rivals. And I don't care how good you think you are. We all have at least that one little thing that we tuck away way back in the closet. And we close the door and we don't think about it. But nonetheless, we know and God knows that it's there. Amen? So thankful for grace. So thankful for God's grace. If I would have lived under the law, under the law I'm afraid I'd have been a miserable failure. Maybe like this young man, maybe I could have kept the rules, but boy. So let's talk about some of these idols of the heart. Number five, examples of the idols of the heart. And I'll probably read off something that might ruffle your feathers just a little bit. That's okay. My dad used to say, you can get glad the same way you got mad. Okay? Number, the first thing, being in control. Sometimes our idol is being in control. We don't want to turn the control of our lives over to God and trust that he actually knows best. Remember the old show that was black and white, Father Knows Best? Some of you are old enough to remember that. Yeah, well, Heavenly Father definitely knows best. Amen? And he's asking that we turn over the control of our lives. Here's another idol of the heart. Reasoning. Okay? Reasoning. My pastor in Tacoma says some of you have the, par- the paralysis of analysis. The paralysis of analysis. We may have an idol of rationality where everything we look at in our lives and we try to rationalize it. If what God doesn't ask us to do doesn't keep up with what the average person thinks is reasonable, then we prefer the advice of the human, what I call the human wisdom idol. Somebody, if you ask long enough and you ask around enough, somebody's going to give you advice on your life, okay? And sometimes we're just doing our best to get somebody to agree with our rational reasoning, okay? And we end up doing what that says over what God says. For example, let me give you, just give you a couple out of the Bible. Think about Noah. God said, look, 
go out there in that field and build me a really big boat. And when you think about that, it hadn't rained in years. They, they, they were in a drought. And everybody laughed at old Noah. The old guy is crazy. He's out there building that big old boat. What for? There's not a body of water within miles and miles of here. Where's he going to float that thing? Or think about Abraham. I like this one. God said, hey, Abraham, pack up everything you got. And I want you to go over here to a country and live and settle there where you have never been. Now, imagine Abraham, those of you that are married or have been married. Think about Abraham, if you will, explaining that to his wife. Where are we going, Abraham? I don't know. Well, how far is it, Abraham? I don't know. Well, what does it look like, Abraham? Who's going to be our neighbors? What will we live in? Abraham looks back at her and says, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you, dear. It's just that God said, now finish packing and we're leaving, kind of thing. God said, okay? He could have rationalized things away. He could have reasoned things away. He could have said, God, hey, I'm pretty successful here. I, I don't really need your help in all of this. I don't really need to pack up and move. I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Or think about Gideon, if you will. God told him to go fight this massive army with all of 300 men. And back in those days, armies were in the thousands and thousands and thousands. I don't remember. Anybody remember how many there were on the opposite side? Any of you Old Testament scholars? Was it in the 30,000 range, something like that? Go fight them with 300 men. That didn't make any sense to Gideon. It didn't make any sense to the leaders on his team. And I'm sure those guys thought, okay, this is certain suicide. We are going to die today because Gideon's had too much to drink. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Or people idols. People that we don't want to disappoint. People idols. They can be parents. They can be a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse. They can also be co-workers or a social group that you hang out. But what happens is, we won't obey God out of fear of offending somebody in our peer that are peers, their family, their co-workers, whatever it is. We're just deathly afraid of offending somebody if we obey what God says for our lives. Or how about the idol of your career or your plans? Oh boy. Many people have already made up their plans and they don't want them, those plans messed up at all. They don't want them messed up. Hey, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Then I'm going to retire and da-da-da-da-da. I'm going to live on the lake. And Yeah, we don't want our plans messed up. We don't want our feathers ruffled, so to speak. We want all the details up front. Okay, God, if you'll give me that in writing, please. And make, make sure I've got six points and 12 subpoints and a nice paragraph conclusion at the end, then maybe I'll give it some thought. We want all the details up front, and we don't want to walk by faith. We don't like walking by faith. It's too much work, isn't it? Can be. So some people's career is more important them to, more important to them than their relationship with God. It's kind of sad. We're still on number five, idols, 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 okay? 
Idols of our heart. How about idols of our children? People make idols out of their kids when they adopt society's expectations for what makes a good parent. We've all been there and done that, haven't we? Huh? I was so proud of the fact that Austin, most of you have met Austin and Alicia. They come down from time to time and hang out with us. But Austin didn't get the short stubbiness of the Patterson side of the family. He got the tall lankiness of the Lawrence side of the family. So I was just so enthralled with the idea that Austin was going to be able to accomplish things in basketball and in football that I couldn't do. I couldn't do that, okay? Society says a good parent has to put their kids in baseball, football, soccer, whatever it is, or gymnastics or dance. That's what society says. And you run from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. All you can do to keep up with the calendar on the fridge with all of the events. Now, for these parents, if if God or church gets in the way of something like that, unfortunately, church gets cut. Hey, God, sorry. We got to go to a soccer match today. Don't know what to tell you. They justify giving God the back seat because they're being good parents as society dictates. What does God think about that? Do we ever stop and ask him? I had to I had to come to grips after Austin played uh, it was so fun to watch him play football. In like the 5th and 6th grade because he was a foot taller than any kid on the field. So they made Austin by the time he got I think to the 6th grade he was 6 foot. And uh, he might have been 5'10 the year before. But those were his two magnanimous years of football. And Dad would get on the sidelines and scream his brains out. I'd get to Sunday service, I wouldn't have a voice left. Because I was cheering on my son, and he was accomplishing what I couldn't accomplish as a kid. But Austin would run. He was a tight end, and he'd run his pattern down and stand in the end zone. And that quarterback would rear back and throw in the ball, and Austin would just reach up and grab it because the other kid was right here. And it was hilarious because he'd make touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Dad thought that was pretty neat, you know, pretty good stuff. But to, before he went to junior high, was it? Uh, when did he beg out? Of, when did he beg off of sports? At what age did he do that? Seventh grade. So he played fifth and sixth. By the time he got to seventh grade, he's done. He lost all interest in it. It didn't tickle his fancy. He loved playing music. He loved playing on the recording equipment. He loved all that. And he's still doing that today, and he's 31 years old. So I had to deal with the fact that, hey, this kid's not going to go off and play college ball. He's lost all interest in sports, and he doesn't even watch sports, which is odd for some folks, you know. It's, It's the way it goes. If you're at Grace's house, you have to watch sports. I mean... If you're going to survive at the Mulkey House, you have to watch sports, and that on a regular and ongoing basis, okay? Yeah, so I dealt with that as a dad, so disappointed that Austin had turned my world upside down. Yeah, moving right along. I'm still working on the idols of the heart, okay? The idol of money is the next one on my list. Material possessions are a standard of living. Some Americans work two or three jobs in order to achieve in what we all call the American dream. 
Wow. Talk about taking a beating. The idol of this rich young ruler was his standard of living and his material possessions. And if we're not willing to give these things up, then they are more important to us than God is. That's just a reality check, folks. That's just a reality check for you and I. And they are an idol. A lot of you know that I I like to ride motorcycles. And I've had a couple of nice ones in my day. Had to wait till I was old enough that I could afford a nice one to get a nice one, but you know. And so I had that red Harley Davidson sitting in the garage since we moved here. Just a gorgeous motorcycle. Spent way too much money on it. And uh, and I'd be out there working at the workbench or doing a project or something. I'd look over at that Harley Davidson and think, man, it's so sad that that thing just sitting here gathering dust. And I don't ride it enough to warrant having it sit there and take up space and cost money and pay insurance and all that. So I, I, I came to the conclusion, about the fifth or sixth time I went out there and looked at it and was having regrets, I decided, you know what, I'm going to sell the thing. I'm not married to it, and uh, we'll move on and do something different. So we did. We bought a Corvette. Yeah. <laughs> Thought, well, if I, can't st- if I can't stay up on two wheels, I can sure stay up on four wheels. <laughs> Had that about a year and sold that puppy, too. So it's not about the... And I was so... I wanted, I wanted a yellow Corvette so bad. For 40 years, I wanted a yellow Corvette. I bought one. I loved it. I, I drove it. We had a blast in it. It was way too fast. Just And Tim Cameron, he's saying, yeah, me too, Pastor Mike. I want one too. Um, and it just came down to the point, <coughs> excuse me, where I didn't like the car anymore. I didn't like the way it handled. I didn't like the way it drove. It, it just beat me to death. And the older I get, the harder it is for my hips and knees to cooperate. So getting down in the car was virtually impossible. Yeah. It's craziness. <coughs> Excuse me. So the rich young ruler was kind of hung out to dry by his standard of living and his material possessions. Okay? I know it's wonderful to have nice things. There's no doubt about that. And I'm not getting on your case about that. But do a heart check from time to time and figure out, you know, is there something in my life that I, I like and I love it more than I love God? That kind of thing. Idols, idols of the heart. Number six today, God will test your idols. I guarantee you, God will test your idols. What was the rich young ruler's problem? Well, he was faced with, in this confrontation in Mark 10, he was faced with the point of no return. He was faced with the point of no return. An alternate title to my sermon could could be today. The point of no return. He gets in a conversation with Jesus out on the road. And Jesus says, look, man, I got one recommendation for you. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. You know what the point is, the point of no return is, the definition, the best one I could think of? The moment when you're in an airplane flight and there's no longer enough fuel to return to the starting point. Yeah. Anybody ever been there and done that? Uh, Some of you have flown long distances overseas. We fly, we've had a timeshare over in Hawaii for as long as I can remember. Twenty-some years we've owned this 
timeshare. It's turned into a, just a money pit. And, uh, but nonetheless, we bought it 20-some years ago. So we go to Hawaii on, kind of on a regular basis. And, uh, and I've had this point of no return experience a couple of times. You'll be in the airplane. You take off from Portland or Seattle, and away you go. And about three hours into the flight, I would look down at my watch, and I would say, oh, my God, we're over water. We got two and a half hours left to fly. We are past the point of no return when it comes to this flight. Lord Jesus, let it be a gas, let it be a gas sipping flight. And please keep us in the air and everything so we all don't have to go for a swim before we get to Maui. But I always go back the next year, happily board the plane again, pack my little bag, get on the plane, say, let's go back to Maui, huh? Yeah, okay, or let's turn around and fly home. Another five and a half hours over water. I remember when we did the trip, when Tiffany was in, high, in, uh, in college in Australia, I was dreading that flight. That was, uh, we flew from Seattle down to Los Angeles to catch an international flight to fly to Australia. And that leg of the flight was about 15 hours from L.A. to Sydney. And uh, I was a little worried about that one. And flying doesn't bother me on a regular basis. I grew up, my dad flew airplanes when I was a kid, and we had a blast and all that stuff. But being past the point of no return and being out over the water, I just get a little nervous, you know. But this young man was faced with the point of no return. There are some examples I want to share with you today, and I'll move it right along. Like when Cortez arrived in Veracruz in 1519 and 800 soldiers with him, to defeat the entire Aztec nation, okay, the entire nation. To ensure his men wouldn't turn their backs, he had the ships burned right before their very eyes. There was no going back. These boys were committed to the fight. Amen? Or at the Alamo, Colonel Travis drew a line in the sand to commit his men to die for the liberty of Texas. By the next day, it was impossible for them to go back. Or a, how about a Bible example? Elisha, the farmer. He was called to be a prophet, you see. God put his hand, divine hand upon him, called him to be a prophet. So he slaughtered the oxen and he burned his plows to ensure that he couldn't go back to farming. Boy, all his job security just went down the drain, right? And Jesus asked this young man who came to him to cut the cables of his old life and walk with him into the unknown. Verse 21, Jesus said, Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. Some versions, some translations say, Take up your cross and follow me, is what Jesus told him. And once he gave it away, there would be no going back. But this young man didn't have the ability to give away his idol. And the sad truth of this story is, as good as he was, he didn't enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said these words in Mark 10, a little further down in verse 23 and 25. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. We have to be willing to let those idols go. God's not going to grab them out of your hand. Okay, He might tap you on the shoulder like he did for, with me in that red Harley. I had taken so much pride in that motorcycle. And what's funny is, I never liked the way it, it drove. 
I never liked the way it felt, like my old one. But we have to be willing to let the idols go. Which brings me to number seven. Becoming willing is a key. Becoming willing is a key. Let me share this little story with you. Christian author Frederick B. Meyer once had a dream. Jesus came to him and asked him for all the keys to his life. Frederick took, all of it, took his ring of keys and handed them to Jesus. Are these all of the keys, Jesus asked? Meyer answered, no, I have one small key left to a very tiny room. Surely you wouldn't want that key, Lord. Jesus handed all of the keys back to him. No, I must have all of the keys or none of the keys at all. Frederick Meyer awoke completely shaken, hot tears coursing down his cheeks. He rolled off his bed and onto his knees and surrendered every part of his life to the Lord. And from that hour, there came a new power in his life and ministry. It's amazing what God will do for us when we become willing to relinquish the idols. Amen? You want to experience the awesome power of God in your life? Give it all to Jesus. Make sure you have surrendered all of the keys to those little dark rooms in your heart. Amen? Let me ask you today, is there evidence of the Lordship of Christ in your life? If Jesus is Lord, I believe that there has to be some kind of self-denial involved. Some kind of self-denial. So let me ask you a couple of questions along that line. Do you ever have to alter your plans? The Holy Spirit kind of prompts you, quickens you. You have to alter your plans to accommodate God's will in your life. Do you ever have to curtail some of the places you go? I remember the first time as a kid, I went to a movie theater. I think I was 15 or 16, and we'd been told that if you go to a movie theater, you're going to go to hell. And I remember sneaking out of town with a good friend, my good friend Les Coulter. He corrupted me. And uh, we drove up the freeway and quite a ways and went to see Young Frankenstein. And... Uh, some of these movies that are out playing now, I wouldn't walk in the door. I wouldn't walk in the door of the establishment to see them. They just—they're that much garbage. So, do you ever have to curtail some of the places you go? Do you? Ever, oh, here's a good one. I love this one. Do you ever have to restrain anything that comes out of your mouth? Something that you want to say? Yeah. Most of you are sitting there saying, "Yeah, Mike. Now you've quit preaching and you've gone to meddling." <laughs> do you ever have to restrain? What comes out of your mouth? My goodness. Make sure that God is Lord of all of your life. Because even the best of us still have that one little thing tucked way back in there that we really don't want to address. We don't really want to look at it, but it's there. And God wants you to release it to him. Amen? Amen. Don't follow the example of the rich young ruler. Do just the opposite of what he did. And you'll be accepted into the kingdom of God. Now, as I bring this to a conclusion, I want to have the band come back. They're going to close us out in a song today. And as they come back and get in place, I want to share another little story with you. It's called The Most Important Thing. In April of 1988, a cameraman was hired to videotape a group of friends as they went skydiving. They all leaped from the plane and began with a prolonged freefall. The photographer got some exciting footage of each of the participants as they did somersaults, they body surfed, they formed those big stars and other formations. Each did his or her signature move and then pulled their ripcord and rose out of camera view. 
The last segment of the film is one of total chaos. The cameraman made the horrifying discovery that, all, that in all of his efforts to help the others have a great experience, he had forgotten to put on his own parachute. He didn't know of his terrible mistake until he reached for the ripcord and it wasn't there. His jump was an eventful and exhilarating trip for a few fleeting moments. And that's what so many well-meaning people are doing in life, living their lives to please others and ignoring the one that they must ultimately answer to. Amen? Wow. Talk about a reality check. So let's give God his proper place in our lives. Let's make him Lord of all, Lord of everything. Amen? I'm so glad we serve a faithful God, aren't you? And he'll meet us right where we're at, whatever you're going through in your life, whatever you're hanging on to. It doesn't really matter to God what it is. What matters to God is are you willing to release it? Are you willing to become willing to release it and have the power of God fully in your life, walking daily with him without any encumbrances? Let's pray today. Father, thank you for this wonderful and beautiful group of people here at People's Church. Thank you, Lord, that they love you, they're committed to you, and that the instruction of the word will bring reproof where needed, correction where where needed. Father God, help us to set aside all of the idols that we heard about today that affect us in a negative way. Lord, we know that there has to be but one God in our lives, not multiple so we lay those things at your feet today. Help us, Lord, to do better. Help us to be better. Help us to walk uprightly before you and be in right relationship with you, we pray. Bless these, Lord, as they go. Keep them safe. And Lord, give us a reprieve in this heat, we pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Have a great week out there. Be safe. Stay cool.